Welcome to the Sacred Adventure Begin podcast. I'm your host, Emily. I am a Kentucky native, now Boston-based artist, researcher, spirituality, and creativity teacher. I'm here to share with you stories and conversations that explore the sometimes subtle, sometimes epic ways that we as people discover our voices and begin consciously creating lives filled with meaning and expression. Powerful stories bridge the gaps between intellect and heart, between mundane and divine, between fantastical and practical. And I'm so excited to have you here sharing this space and being part of these conversations. Let's begin. Hello, 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 everyone. I am so excited to finally be back with you. And again, thank you so much for your patience with me. Um, I have a really amazing guest today who runs the business called Sis Got Tea. And I will let them introduce themselves to you in a second. In the meantime, I wanted to, again, thank you and give you a bit of an update. One of the reasons that I haven't been able to produce very many episodes this year so far is because I've been dealing with a kitchen remodel. (laughs) And I have to tell you, I'm celebrating right now because I've put the final coats of paint on just hours ago. And, oh, I'm getting chills. (laughs) It's kind of funny, um, in this episode, you're going to hear us talking about a bit about neurodivergence and, um, I think sometimes about how, um, talking about being ADD or ADHD or having ADD, ADHD, uh, affects my meditation life and the types of meditation that I am attracted to. Also, it affects the type of meditations that I want to then um, teach because I struggled a lot in the meditation and spirituality community with people who wanted stillness when my energy and my body really needed movement and how um, experiencing flow and also having lots of experiences and sort of having that like kind of balancing focus has very much served me in my spirituality, but that's because I had teachers who understood that as a, as a part of my experience, not necessarily a part of who I am, but a part of my experience and have directed me to forms of meditation, forms of spirituality that are welcoming and work with that type of energy as I have, um, come to understand it in myself and how it affects my life, that sort of thing. But (laughs) yes, so the sort of pressure and the need to have this done immediately kind of situation in the kitchen has really kept me uh, busy down there working in that space and not left too much time for doing things like recording intros. (laughs) So again, I appreciate your patience, uh, both with me and with the podcast, and I cannot wait to share this guest with you. Um, Today, I am speaking with the founder of a Louisville tea business or Louisville-based tea business called Sis Got Tea. I absolutely adore their teas. I adore um, the philosophy and the way that they have set up the tea company, and I can't wait to share their story with you. Before we get in there, I also want to offer this to you. Um, I drink a lot of tea. (laughs) If you're following me on Instagram, I drink tea and do little small chats over there, (laughs) little um, wisdom drops with tea. But tea is one of my favorite ways to do self-care 
and to do sort of a midday, uh, mid-morning, mid-afternoon check-in with myself. So oftentimes, and this could be a practice if you want to use it as well, I'll walk up to my tea stash. Yes, I have a stash of teas. (laughs) And ask myself, like tune in, ask my body what it needs and wants in the moment. And then as I take the time to heat the water, pick out the cup and steep the tea or the herbs, whatever it is that I am making from Tulsi to lemongrass to green tea, it gives me just a minute to like breathe and drop my guard and relax. So it becomes this like sort of ritual for self-care. And another one of the um, excellent things that we're going to talk about today is how like having a cup of tea fosters a sense of community and how that is part of the mission and the focus for the guests we have coming up. So if you are in a position where you can brew yourself some tea, (laughs) I say go for it. I will offer you this too. If you are looking for an amazing um, tea company from which to order your tea, uh, Siscott Tea has multiple tasting sets. So you can you can taste a number of their different flavors that the company has to offer. But I... Um, I'm in love with their Sencha Plum Green Tea. It is delicious. And their Apple Salon is really, really good as well. So if you feel like supporting them before or after the episode, they are over at Sis Got Tea. All right, let's get into this interview. Welcome, Ariel Clark, to the Sacred Adventure Begin podcast. I am so pumped to have you here today. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Happy Tuesday. Yeah. Um, It may not be Tuesday when this comes out, but happy day. (laughs) Happy day. Happy Tuesday. Happy all the things. (laughs) Right. So, so can you start by telling folks a little bit about yourself and what you do in the world? Yeah, sure. Wow. What do I do in the world? Um, (laughs) So uh, my name is Ariel. My pronouns are she, her, hers. I am 30 years old. I just turned 30 in July. So That's been exciting. Um, I don't feel any different. Like, I feel like I just kind of rolled into my thirties, but it's been very serene to come into it. Like most people are like, you're going to party so hard in your thirties. And I'm like, ah, I'm fine. You know, Um, right now I work in uh, information technology full-time, but what a lot of people know me for is I am the owner and founder of Siscott Tea, which is Louisville, Kentucky's Black-owned, LGBTQ-owned, woman-owned tea business. Um, We were established August the 2nd of 2019. So we've been doing this for a little over two years now, and I never expected it to be as big as it is now. Um, I also have published a book. Um, It is about me being queer, Black, and polyamorous. Um, It's called A Book for the Shelf, Writings and Rantings of a Black Queer Polyamorous Woman. Um, we actually, I actually published it through a local LGBTQ owned, woman owned publishing press called Nanny Goat Press. So absolutely awesome process. So that's available through their website and then through like Amazon, but please get it through the Nanny Goat Press website. Do yeah. we really want to support Amazon? Jeff Bezos has enough money. He just went into space for no reason. So <laughs> um, other than that, I am queer, polyamorous, black, um, neurodivergent. I have PTSD generalized anxiety disorder and major depressive disorder, almost forgot. 
and um, I am a person with chronic illness. I'm a Spoonie, so I have migraines. I have chronic pain from a car wreck I was in in March of 2019. So I am in pain every single second of every single day. I also have like GI issues and stuff like that. So yeah, my life is just a big potpourri of a lot of different random things kind of put together to make who I am. Um, I also have actually two cats now because my partner just moved in. Um, my cat, uh, his name's Alfonso. He's 11 years old and 16 pounds, and he's my best friend in the entire world. Uh, my partner's cat, his name is Kona. I don't remember how old he is, but I think he's about 16, 17 pounds as well. So we have two big boys running around our apartment. So, <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. There's so much, like so many There's threads. So <laughs> There's so many threads here that we can sort of like go into. But can we start with what Ciscot Tea um, is? And also maybe, um, can we just start with where you got the idea for that? Yeah, sure. So I went to Bellarmine for undergrad from 2009 to 2013. And I am born and raised in the city of Louisville, Kentucky. Um, I've always been here. I don't plan on leaving anytime soon because of Ciscot Tea and because of the connections I have here and things like that. And growing up in the city of Louisville was like a, a black queer woman was a, was a little bit lonely. Um, I looked for folks like me, like black and queer. And when I was younger, for reference, I was born in 1991. So some of these places have like closed by now. So when I was younger, <clears throat> excuse me, the big milestone in like LGBTQ life was like, oh, wait until you go to Kentucky and a pride. And Kentucky and a pride is, so I live in Louisville, which is right on the Ohio River and right across the river is Indiana. So the bridge is like 10 minutes from my house. And so the combination of Kentucky and Indiana, they call it Kentuckiana, like literally they took Kentucky and Indiana and mushed those them. words together. Mm-hmm. Right. And so- it makes Indiana uh, sound cooler, don't you think? It, it does. It does. <laughs> And um, they every year host um, an LGBTQ pride festival and it's really big and like people from all over, from all over like Kentucky and Indiana come. And, you know, when I was younger, when I was like 13, 14, it was like, wait till you get to go to Kentucky and a pride and and the festival and the parade and you'll be surrounded by queer people and it'll be great. And so I remember it's um, always a Friday and a Saturday in June. It's either the first or second weekend. I don't know, but it's always blazingly hot. I don't know how people do it anymore. And I remember that entire week, I was so pumped to go. Like I went to Hot Topic and bought everything I could out of their rainbow section back when Hot Topic was the place to go. And I was like counting down the days and picking my outfit and stuff. And so Friday evening is the parade. And then Saturday is the festival. The big thing is the festival for me personally. I went to the festival. and I was like, oh my God, I'm surrounded by all these queer people like me. All of them are white. But back then it didn't really matter because I wasn't really like fully into my blackness yet. Cause like I grew up in a very like racist area and things like that. And so I was like, this is great. But as I came more and more into my blackness, I was like, this is, this is okay. You know? And I grew up in a family that did not drink. Um, it's, it just wasn't a thing I was raised with. It wasn't emphasized. And I actually started drinking because of pressure in high school. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you go to pride and, Alcohol is a really big thing for pride festivals, not just here, but also just around the nation in general. Like, I can't really think of a pride festival that isn't sponsored by some alcohol company of some sort. Um, I think in particular, in the past, Kentucky and a pride has been sponsored by like Absolute Vodka. And then of course, 
we're in the middle of bourbon country. So there's a lot of like bourbon companies that'll come out and sponsor and things like that. So there was a lot of drinking at Pride and I was like, ah, no thanks, you know. And then I started getting pressured into drinking and I thought that was just the thing to do. Like that was just part of growing up and part of coming out. And um, the next thing was, um, there was a club called Connections here in town. And I remember uh, Connections. Right? Oh my God, blast from the past. I miss that <laughs> I place. Right. I think I look back now and I'm like, how did we how did we get away with the things that we did in connections? Oh my and God. So they, they had the nights where like, if you're eight, if you're 18 to 20, you can get in with the sponsor. And so I turned 18 and I was able to go. Um, I say that, how did we get away with things in connections um, for the folks that are listening that don't know what connections is connections is a drag bar was a drag bar here in the city of Louisville in Kentucky. And, you know, there's, there's the drag shows, which is fine, you know, and then there's the alcohol also fine. But if I remember correctly, they, there was a room where you could just watch people take showers and you could yes, give them yes. money. Yes. <laughs> and I remember the first time I went to Connections. You remember correctly. Friend, I don't even, I don't even remember who I went with. She was like, look, and I like looked over and there's this man in a Speedo taking a shower, like through this see-through <laughs> shower. And I was just like, oh, what the, what is, okay. <laughs> not, it's not my thing, but okay. You know? <laughs> Yeah. So on my first drag show, it was absolutely amazing. But again, I was surrounded by alcohol. I couldn't, I couldn't drink legally at the time. Um, as I got older, I went to college, met more LGBTQ people, um, turned 21. And then it was like, you should go out to the bars. You'll meet all types of LGBTQ people. And I think Nowhere Bar had like just opened when I turned 21, somewhere in there. Um, Nowhere Bar is a bar here in Louisville, Kentucky that labeled itself as LGBTQ when it first opened, like a lot of LGBTQ people kind of flocked there, but now it's, it's not. But um, I went out to the bars all the time. And when you go out to the bar and you're sober, you're like, I need to catch up with you all because I am not having a good time. So um, just drank just to fit in, drank to have confidence, that kind of thing. And while I was in undergrad, I had all these big grandiose ideas and I'm really into dad jokes and puns for some reason. <laughs> Excuse me. me. Too. So, <laughs> so I was sitting with a bunch of my friends and um, for those of you with development who listen to this podcast, there is a space in um, Oregon Hall, which is like one of the main buildings and it's called Couches. And it's literally just like this space just full of nothing but old couches. And so we would hang out there all the time. And so we were sitting in couches and I looked at my friends, I said, okay, I have an idea. And they're like, oh God, here we go. I was like, what if we opened a bakery, right? And we called it Pie Curious and we named each pastry after famous LGBTQ people. And they were like, that's oh, I love that. I was like, I love that you all love that concept because I can't bake. So one of you run off with that. So <laughs> listeners out there, if you want to make that, go for it. Because I can't <laughs> bake to save my life. So um, that, that passes. And then like maybe a few weeks later, a month or two later, we're sitting in couches again. I said, wait, what if we opened a coffee shop or a tea shop and called it LGBT and named all the drinks after famous LGBTQ people? <clears throat> and my friends were like, oh, that's amazing. I was like, huh, right. And I was like, actually, that's a pretty neat idea. And I sat on that for 10 years. Cause that was between 2009 and 2013. It's 2021 now, almost 2022. And so um, I started working full-time after I graduated and I still had the idea in the very, very back of my brain 
that, you know, growing, <clears throat> growing up as a black woman with no generational wealth in her family because of like systemic racism and where we come from, I was just like, I'm never going to be able to start a business. That's for people with money. You know what I mean? And so I went a completely different direction in my career. Um, in 2009, 2019, excuse me, some things kind of happened to where I was unemployed for a little bit. I walked away from my job because we were just going in different directions. Like, it's not me, it's you kind of thing. Sure. It's not me, it's you. Yeah, it's not yeah. me, it's you. Yeah. So um, <laughs> I had a director at the time at my job and I got really close with her and I told her about, you know, the, the dream of opening the tea shop. She's like, it's a really cute idea. And unfortunately, she passed away from cancer while I was working with her. And um, I left the job and I kept thinking about the tea shop and things like that. And I was unemployed from July 2019 to November of 2019. And I remember um, I kept having this recurring dream while I was unemployed that for those of you who have seen The Lion King, you know, when the clouds open up and yeah. the is talking to Simba, right? Like literally my director would appear out of the clouds and just say over and over again, open the shop. And I, and I would be like yelling at her, like, I don't know what to do. But she's like, open, open the shop. I don't know how. Open the shop. <laughs> and I kept having that dream. And so while I was unemployed, I just randomly like shot out a, a Facebook status. And I was like, Hey, where do most LGBTQ people hang out here in Louisville? And every single answer that I got was some form of bar. Yeah. So it was like, oh, no, play. Bar. chill bar, play, big persuasions. Bar. Yeah. Bars. Right. Persuasions. Oh, rest in peace. Persuasion. <laughs> we could have a whole different <laughs> conversation about lesbian bar culture and how it needs to come back. But anyway, yes. that's a whole other thing. But, it has slightly um, less misogyny than other places. <laughs> just a little bit. Not much, just a little bit. Still just as much racism, though. But oh, yeah. That. So um, I just found it really interesting that there was no, like, non-alcohol-centric so, places. And so, you know, there were a couple people that poked and they were like, oh, there's this coffee shop. It's not, like, LGBTQ-owned or anything, but LGBTQ people just kind of happen to go there. And I'm like, oh, okay. I wouldn't really count that, but okay. <laughs> and so I think like a week or two later, I was like, hey, I shot out another status. And I was like, hey, what if someone opened a sober specific LGBTQ place, like a cafe or a tea shop or something? And all these people responded and were like, yes, please. This is what Louisville needs. This would be really great. This would be an amazing resource. And I started thinking back to when I was growing up as like a, a young black emerging queer and finding out my sexuality. And I thought I was bisexual and then I thought I was gay. And then I went back to bisexual and then I was gay again. And then like, I'm just like, oh, I'm not straight. So I'm just queer. And then finding out that I'm polyamorous and not knowing that that was a thing that existed. I thought- Or even an option. Oh, right, exactly. Yeah. It took me until going to therapy to realize that polyamory was a thing that actually existed. Yeah. Um, which I'll tell you about that. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I was looking back and I was like, I wish I had had a place where I could go and just like sit and chill and be with other LGBTQ people, um, have like black LGBTQ meetups, not have alcohol in the space for a number of reasons. Like mm -hmm. I have friends who are in recovery. I have friends that don't like going to bars because they're loud. I have friends that don't go to bars because they're inaccessible. Um, I have friends that don't go to bars because they get sensory overload. I have friends that don't want to be around alcohol. I have friends that work third shift and can't go to the bar and like different things like that. 
Um, I have friends that are underage and can't go to the bar, like stuff like that. You know what I mean? And so I was like, well, I have all this feedback saying that this is something we need. And then in the tea aspect, there just weren't a lot of places to get tea. Um, we had tea bonnet in one of the malls here in Louisville, but mm-hmm. they shut down. Um, I say unfortunately, but kind of like, I think they're owned by Starbucks or something. So it's kind of yeah, like, Yeah, you know. they are. And then there's Louisville Tea Company, which is great, but they're like all the way on the other side of town. And I feel like they strike me more as retail of like, you walk in, you order tea by like the ounce or something and you leave. But I want like a coffee shop vibe tea space where you can go in, order a brewed cup of tea, sit down, do work, have meetings, things like that. Um, Because while I was at Bellarmine, I started this group called Queer Women in Coffee. And we'd meet every two weeks at Highland Coffee, rest in peace, their last day is Thursday. Wait, what? Um, Yes, Highland Coffee's closing after 22 years. Stop it, I love that place. They are, they're closing because they can't do, uh, they can't survive another um, COVID winter. Oh my God. I, uh, when I was 16, I used to go there because it was a alcohol-free place to hang out and they had a open mic nights there. And it was, it was when they were this tiny little tea shop or what wasn't tea, Mm -hmm. but you know, coffee shop and yeah, Mm -hmm. would order a chai tea and I would sit there and watch people sing songs. Like it was great. Yeah. They're closing on Thursday. Their last day is Thursday. Holy crap. I know. Yeah. Well, um, thank you for alerting me. (laughs) Right. I'm sorry to bring the bad news. The news like literally came out, I think like Monday or something. It it, it was either Sunday or Monday that they literally made the announcement on Facebook. So it hasn't been out for a long time. Yeah. But um, we would meet every two weeks at either Highland Coffee or Heine Brothers. And it was just a group full of queer women and we would sit and chat. And, you know, there was no alcohol because we were in a coffee shop and we would just sit and talk and just gossip and stuff for like two hours and it was super awesome and a lot of people were appreciative of it and so I took the chance and um I registered the business on August 2nd at like 11 45 at night because I'd go to the business registration page and go to hit the submit button on the application I'd be like no I can't do it <laughs> and like, <laughs> It was like 1130. I did that for three weeks. And my friend I've been was there like, before. <laughs> right. My friend was like, after three weeks, she was like, if you don't press this godforsaken button, I'm going to come over to your house and I'm going to grab your hand and I'm going to slam it on the submit button. If you don't do it yourself. And I was like, okay. So I hit the submit button and I made the announcement and we only had a Facebook page at the time and it blew up considerably. And it's been an exponential journey ever since then. Um, I never thought that I would get this far. Um, we've had to pivot a lot because of the pandemic. Um, the goal when I first started the business in August of 2019 was to have a physical location up and running by December of 2019. Ha, that didn't happen. Hit a lot Wonder of roadblocks. Right, exactly. <laughs> Hit a lot of roadblocks with funding at first. And the, and the pandemic was not even like on anybody's radar. Like I don't even think it had started at that time. And I kept getting denied loans, which we can go into a whole conversation about all the gatekeeping and the loan and funding process. Well, Louisville's horrible. Oh my God, it's awful. And so I was like, this is, this is a wash. I'm not going to be able to do anything. This is awful. And I did a couple in-person events in January and February, and then the pandemic hit. And I was like, oh, thank God I didn't open anything. (laughs) And here we are now. Um, I've been able, I've, I'm basically all online. I do have wholesale relationships throughout the city and actually the country. And so um, we have an online store for like consumer sales. So if folks just want to order tea, I have 
wholesale relationships. I just landed a really big contract with Sipsby, which is a tea subscription service. Oh my God, I subscribed to them. We'll be in the next box. Stop, (laughs) I'm so pumped. Okay. What a... What a concept. I was, they were like, we want to do this. Will you sign this contract? And I, I like sat back and I, I called my accountant. I was like, I don't know. Should we do this? And she was like, why the hell are you asking me? Why haven't you signed it yet? I was like, I don't, I don't know. I'm scared. <laughs> and so we just got the ball rolling uh, last week, week before. Congratulations. So Sips by goes to be in the next people. Like we're going to be in the next four or five seasonal boxes. So winter uh, yeah. 2021, spring 22 summer 22 and fall 22. So we're going to be doing that. We'll be on their e-commerce website. Uh, yeah, we just landed a wholesale relationship with Safai Coffee here in Louisville, yeah. Kentucky. Um, I am in all Rainbow Blossom locations here in Louisville, Kentucky. I am in Blue Dog Bakery and Cafe. I'm in some other place I don't remember. I'm in Pocket Change, which is a Black-owned business hub here in Louisville, Kentucky. I'm in Lavender Hill Florals, which is a floral, uh, oh my gosh, a florist shop in Southern Indiana. I am somewhere, I'm in the Speed Art Museum as well um, here in Louisville, Kentucky. So I've also done um, wholesale relationships with folks all over the country. There is a book subscription service called New Sons and they particularly focus on uh, marginalized authors and each month has like a certain theme and so for one of their boxes, actually two of their boxes. One box, I did some of my pre-made blends and then another box, I made their own custom blend and we like collaborated on it and that was really cool. And so I've done wholesale orders for bookstores, cafes. I did one for a graduation, that was super cool. I made a custom blend for a wedding, for two weddings actually. Um, it was, it was, it was so nice to be part of the process. It was so cute. I saw the photos. It was great. It was, it was so cute. Oh man. Um, I think, I think that's all I've done podcasts. I've done interviews, but I think the greatest part of it all is just being able to connect with the community. And also it's been a learning experience as to like what resources are needed here in the community. What are the barriers to not only being part of the LGBTQ community, the Black community, the sober community, the neurodivergent community, all of those things, but also what barriers exist being an entrepreneur with no generational income who is not necessarily profit-driven. When I applied for bank loans, all they wanted was just like financial stuff. They didn't do any like character references or anything. They were like, well, what are your profit margins like? Yep. And then there were a lot of hidden processes that they didn't tell you about, like did you know that sometimes when you apply for a bank loan, <laughs> I'm looking at your PNC, you have to front some of the loan that you're applying for. Did you know that? I didn't know I that. I didn't know that. Was, That's right. Exactly. I applied for a loan at the time for, I think like $175,000. Don't do that. It's a mistake. <laughs> and they were like, well, you need to have a certain percentage of that in your bank account so that, you know, you have, we know that you're able to pay this back. I think it was like 5% or something. And I was like, I don't have what? And it's, it's, it was a whole thing, but um, luckily the community has been absolutely awesome. Um, I started a GoFundMe in, oh boy, September 2019 with the goal of $6,000 in 60 days. And we hit $4,000 within a week. Um, That's how I found out about you. Right. Except I had, I was not expecting it. Um, At the end of the campaign, we raised over $10,000, which was just absolutely phenomenal. Um, we've gotten national, international attention. It's been 
it has been an absolutely amazing journey. We've learned a lot along the way. Um, we've learned a lot about the gatekeeping that's happening in Louisville, but we've also learned about like, we've met some super amazing folks doing absolutely amazing work. And we've just learned so much. I could go on and on, but I'm going to shut up now so you can actually ask questions. <laughs> no, no, I love it. It's, um, it's such a cool and interesting story. And I think, uh, I think that a lot of people go through this, especially neurodivergent people. Um, mm-hmm. Excuse me, I need to clear my throat. <clears throat> nope, you're totally fine. Listen, there's a whole pandemic outside. You do what you need to do. <laughs> okay, I got um, I got RSV a couple weeks ago. I went and visited a friend who works in an elementary school and I don't go outside because I'm not getting COVID and I'm yeah. vaccinated. I went to visit a friend who works in elementary school. We were both standing outside and we were, and I was like, since we're outside, we're both vaccinated. I'm not going to wear a mask. Like I visited on a Tuesday morning, early afternoon, and we hugged. And by Tuesday, late afternoon, I was like, I don't feel good. And then Wednesday, I was like, mm. I really don't feel good. And then Thursday, I was like, I have COVID. This is the end. I don't know who I'm going to get the business to. Who's going to take care of my cat? Who's going to keep up with my car payments? I don't know. I go to the doctor. I test negative for um, flu and COVID. And they're like, but you have all the signs of an upper respiratory infection. It looks like RSV. And I'm like, great. And I'm like, what? And the doctor was like, yeah, a lot of people don't think about it, but it's not just babies that get RSV. And I'm like, ah, Thanks. that's valid. You just know, what I need so. it right now. Awesome. So yeah. if I run out of breath, it's because I'm still recovering from RSV. <laughs> so, so if I'm like, <gasps> that's why. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, when you introduced yourself, what I thought was so beautiful was that you sort of stood on um, a lot of different grounds of I am in this community, I am in this community, I am in this community, and I am in this community. I think a lot of people are afraid of being too much, right? Uh, They tell themselves that. And Mm -hmm. actually, it strikes me as really beautiful because you are in the perfect place to serve and to know what what these communities need to feel welcomed. Mm -hmm. And so it makes it such a powerful position to then say, like, I am coming here to create this um, sober space where like real connection can occur. It isn't that we don't have real connection when we're in bars, but like one where there's like depth and conversation and Mm -hmm. you can actually hear each other and you might, you might remember the conversation later. And the floor is not sticky for some reason. Uh, You know what I mean? Like, uh. yes, I do know what you mean. (laughs) (laughs) I look back on my early twenties. Like I used to go out every Thursday, Friday and Saturday night and I was in school full-time. I was working part-time. I was going to the gym five times a week. And now I'm like, I scooped my ice cream wrong and I dislocated my shoulder. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, But that like, that also was really cool to hear. And then I love that you had, um, I'm going to call it your Mufasa moment, like (laughs) Mm -hmm. with the dreaming. Cause I think that's like a really powerful way that we sort of touch our intuition. Um, Mm -hmm. And some people might argue that you're you are a medium and you're receiving actual information from that, you know, um, mentor of yours. It was so, it was one of the wildest things I've ever experienced. And I started the business and we started to get going and I had another dream about her. And it was so, it was so odd because like I'm driving down the road in my dream and all of a sudden she pops up in my passenger seat. And I was like, her name was Julie. And I was like, Julie. And she goes, Hey, and I was like, what are you? I was like, I thought she's like, no, I'm just visiting. Just, you know, how's everything going? And we're like talking, I'm driving down the road. And um, the last dream I had, which has been many, many, many months, um, we were standing in this all white room and she appeared and she was like washing her hands at like a white sink. And I was like, Julie, it's been, it's been a while. And she's like, yeah. 
yeah, I just want to check on you, tell you how proud of you I am, but I'm probably not going to come around very much anymore. I don't think you need me anymore. And I was like, okay. And she goes, don't be sad. I'm still looking out for you, but you're doing a good job. And that's the last dream I've ever had of her. And I still have her little obituary card on my entertainment center. And when I was having those recurring dreams of her telling me to open the shop, I remember waking up and being in so much pain because I missed her so much. Um, I kind of saw her as like a mom and a best friend. Yeah. And once, as I started having like less and less dreams about her, it was also tied to my grief because I was moving through the stages of grief of like, okay, she's gone. Like this is, you know, this is just the way it is, you know? And that very last dream I had is the least amount of pain that I've had, like waking up the next day, you know, and I walk past her obituary card every single day and I just kind of smile at it. Cause like, yeah, I miss her, but you know, I've, I've moved on to a chapter in my life and it's almost like, it's not that our friendship faded away. It's like, you just move apart from people because you both grow in different directions. Like it's very natural. It's a thing that just happens. Um, and I've grown in a way where I don't need her support as much anymore. Um, not just as a business person, but also as a person in general, because um, I have a lot of trauma in my background and I really like leaned on her for a lot of significant traumatic things that were happening in my life at the moment. And I'm, I go to therapy once a week and I've been doing a lot of healing and I'm doing a lot better than I was four years ago. And so a lot of those things that I was suffering from that I leaned on her for, I have either actively healed from, or I am healing from, and I've made great steps in my recovery. And so now I walk by and I look at her and I'm like, you know, I've grown and I don't need that much support anymore. And I say, you know, thank you for supporting me during those times, but I don't need your support anymore. So, yeah. That's amazing. Well, and also I like that she showed up and was like, you got this, but I I remember (laughs) I woke up and I was like, do I? (laughs) She hasn't been wrong. So I guess I do. (laughs) I think it's like really interesting though, because you mentioned having the idea and you knew it was something that you wanted. And then you got the like, confirmation from the universe that you should be working on it or that you put like inviting you to work on it. I'm not even going to use the word should inviting you to make steps toward this. And I think a Mm -hmm. lot of people would get stuck in that moment and be like, I'm scared. I like, don't want to, don't want to hit, you know, incorporate on button on the computer and I don't want to fill in the things and -hmm. I don't want to go through that. And so I wonder if you have like advice to give people, or if you could talk about like kind of how you how you moved through that. Um, there isn't really, so, so a lot of people answer this with just do it, you know, <clears throat> um, I am on two different medications for my anxiety. So yep. <laughs> it, yeah. it, every, every step that I take has a lot of anxiety behind it. Um, a lot of people would say like, just push through it, just take the leap and you'll be fine that leap is scary. Like that leap is scary. And I'm going to be realistic with you. And it is absolutely valid to feel fear. Um, a piece of advice that I wish I had had that I want to tell other people is take your time. It's on your timeline. You don't have to do anything that you don't want to do. Um, yes, it took me three weeks to register Scott T as a business. Why? Because I was anxious. And then one day I had this moment of like, suddenly my anxiousness was gone for a split second. I was like, this is my opportunity. I have to catch it. And then I just slammed the enter button. And then immediately right after I went, oh my God, what have I done? (laughs) I was like, I've signed up for this for life. What have I done? (laughs) It's so, 
it was the same thing when I got the contract for SipSpy. I stared at that contract for probably about a week before I signed it because I was like, I am terrified if I sign this, I am, I am bound to this contract with them. What if, and I had a whole bunch of anxiety, like, what if I don't deliver? What if they don't like my product? What if my product doesn't sell? What if my, what if people don't want my tea in their tea subscription boxes? And all of these different what ifs, um, because no one gives you, there is no consistent roadmap, roadmap for entrepreneurship. And nope. I am making a very unique business here in the city of Louisville. So there's not really people I can turn to, to be like, what did you do? You know, because all of our paths are different. And I have a very unique business in that nobody else is doing it. And so um, nobody else is doing it in the way that I'm doing it. Like there are other tea shops and things like that, but I have a really big focus on sobriety and community and things like that. And so I was just like, I am floundering. And my accountant, she is an absolute treasure. I'm not going to name her for privacy reasons. I don't have her consent to name her, but she is an absolute treasure and we balance each other out. And so I'm like running around panicking and she's like, if you don't sign that contract and sit down and <laughs> shut up and do these projections with me, we're not going to make any money to open the physical location if we don't take a risk. And I'm like, oh, you're right. And then I like sign the contract. And so um, back to the main point, take your time. There have been so many moments with Cisco.T where I have posted on social media for Cisco.T and been like, hey, it's the owner here. My depression is bad. I'm going to close down the online store for a week or like I'm going to close down the online store for a few days because my chronic pain is flaring up. Um, I closed down the online store for a little bit over a week because my partner had top surgery and I traveled to Portland to be with him and take care of him and be his caregiver. I I remember shutting down the store for um, the, uh, I can't remember. It was a, it was a culmination of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and all of that happening. And I was just like, hey, y'all, I am a black woman and I'm literally watching my friends and family get like tear gassed in downtown Louisville. So I'm just going to shut down the store for a few days so I can like sit back and decompress. You all take care of yourselves, drink water, shake the crumbs out of your bed sheets because I know that life, like take care of each other. And what you're feeling, no matter what it is, is absolutely valid. And you get to create that roadmap. Um, you get to set the expectations. And so, yes, while it is, you do have to fight your anxiety and take those big leaps. What people don't validate is your anxiety itself. Like I hear so many entrepreneurship stories of like, I just went and did it and look how successful I, I am. And it made me feel like crap because yep. I'm sitting here like, well, I, you just did it. Like, you know what I mean? Like I talk with friends who have ADHD and they're like, it really blows my mind when people are just able to do things. And I'm like, that's valid. That makes sense. Like there are days when I'm so depressed, I can't get out of bed, but then I have neurotypical friends that are just like, I did all these things today. Uh What do you mean you're sad? There's no reason to be sad. And I'm like, you're not sad right now. You know what I mean? So, um, it's on your timeline and your anxiety is absolutely valid because there is no playbook for entrepreneurship, there is no how-to guide for how to do it, except for the very basics of like, here's how to register your business. Here's how you follow food codes, like those things. But in terms of the journey of like products and your own personal journey, because not only is the business growing, but you're growing and like, how do you keep up with the community? None of that is written out. There's no cut and dry process. And so 
your anxiety and your fears and your timeline are absolutely valid and absolutely true to you. Um, don't let them hold you back forever, but when it's time, you'll know, like you will feel it. You will feel the sudden urge or rush to just do, to just do it and you'll do it or it'll come in very gently. Everybody's different. So, um, yeah, everything that you're feeling is absolutely valid. Sorry about the cough again. I love that because it's so like, as business owners, we get to structure our business around our values. Mm-hmm. And one of your values is self-care, right? Like, and, and yeah. yeah, and being of service. So if you're not of service to yourself, how could you like show up and do that for the community? And so the community then right. understands that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's like amazing. So did you know, did you like, did you love tea already going into this or, okay. <laughs> so can we talk about tea, tea, please? <laughs> so I started, so I started where everybody starts in the South with, you know, sweet tea, sweet tea. and all that stuff. And I was, Sugar I was water. raised on sweet things. You know what I mean? Like, um, as, as a black person, like Kool-Aid was a really big thing in our house. Um, so I was raised on that. And then I went to like McDonald's sweet tea and, um, I tried to jump from like McDonald's sweet tea to like a straight cup of English breakfast with nothing in it. And I thought it was the most <laughs> disgusting thing in the world. I was like, who drinks this? This is awful. <laughs> and then one day I was, I was at Bellarmine and I was at, you know, Einstein brothers bagels. Um, and my friend was drinking a tea and I was like, ew, why you're drinking tea? That's gross. She's like, no, 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 this is different. You'll like it. It's called a chai tea. And I was oh, like, okay. Mm, I don't know because I was thinking about like hot water with a tea bag in it I was like and she like opened the cup and showed it to me I was like oh and then I like smelled it because I'm a really big like smell person I was like actually it smells good so I went and got one and I and I took a sip and that was it I was like this is amazing like tea can do that you know so after that (laughs) right exactly after that um I used to eat at Cracker Barrel all the time (sighs) I I have to oh, apologize to my black ancestors yeah. for that one. Yeah. <laughs> so I really have to apologize. So, you know, oh, I used to go to Cracker Barrel all the time because you know, it was, it's, it's like safety food. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because of yeah. my stomach issues, like a lot of that food is safety food and it never upsets my stomach. So that's why I used to eat it all the time. And um, I remember I was like, let me try some of their tea. Like maybe I'll try an Earl Grey. And so then I sipped it straight. and I was like, this is awful. And so then I added a bunch of sugar and I was like, okay. And then I added honey and I was like, Ooh, Ooh and then I added lemon yeah. and I was like, Ooh, and then I just kept doing that. And then eventually I, I still add like sugar and lemon and honey to mine. Eventually I started moving to other flavors of tea. So like English breakfast, Earl Grey, green tea by itself, you know, regular black tea. And then, um, I started the tea business cause there's no good place to get tea. And so then I just started doing research and I was like, wow, there is a lot of information about tea. And so I just started sampling stuff. Um, there's still stuff I don't like. Like, um, I don't like matcha. Matcha's really? not my thing. Maybe I haven't made it correctly. Um, the only way I've had matcha is like straight matcha. And I was just like, oh, <laughs> I did um, make a matcha whipped cream that turned out really well. So that was good. Um, I hate rainbows. I'm not a fan of Rebos either. I'm allergic to it. Like every time I drink it, I flush and I don't feel. Oh, wow. Okay. 
Yeah, I'm allergic to a lot of like raw fruits and veggies. So oh. I have to watch, I have to, and I'm allergic to soy and almonds and some other stuff that I don't remember. I do that with chamomile too. Like if, if I have that, it's game over for me. I will feel like something upset all day long. Right. Yeah. So I also, um, I have a blend. Um, it's, it's an aged pu'er black tea, which <sighs> like tea is on a scale of like, there's white tea, which is like the baby tea. All the, it's similar to like chocolate, where there's like white chocolate, milk chocolate, dark chocolate. Mm-hmm. There's white tea, green tea, black tea, and beyond black, there's aged pu'er tea. And I was like, let's do it, let's go, you know, because dare to be different, you know what I mean? Um, I I sell tea. I should you know know all of my products. So I brewed myself a cup, and I was like, this smells like dirt. And then I drank it. it and I was like, this tastes like watery dirt. <laughs> I was like. <laughs> It tastes like barnyard and I love it. I can't. (laughs) And then I, um, I don't want my like products that I offer to be based around my palette only because I have a very sweet palette and I know folks that don't. And so I always try to experiment with things that I know I'm not going to like. And so I have a lop song sound John tea that I sell and I want to do more things with it. And I opened the bag and I was like, this smells like a backyard cookout. I yeah. wouldn't drink this, but <laughs> I have friends that absolutely love it. And so I want to try different things with it. I want to do like a, like a s'mores blend that has like lop song for the smoky effect of the s'more. You know what I mean? Yeah. I want to do, like do like a maple blend with it or something along those lines. And um, I have found that I'm starting to like floral teas now. Like I like jasmine tea. Yeah. That took a while, but here we are. Oh, I love jasmine um, tea. So <laughs> I am going into like floral stuff and I'm going into super earthy stuff. Um, so yeah, um, it's just been expanding over the past two years or so. I'm still learning things every single day. Um, I learned, I think the most significant thing that I learned that sticks out in my memory the most is you can brew catnip. Yeah. It's, it's in the mint family. Yeah. I was I learned that I was like, that is wild. I can make tea for my cat. You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) so I just thought it was really cool. And then that opened the door of like, I, because of like my anxiety and stuff, I have a very vivid imagination. And so I was like, yeah. And I was, and I looked at one of my friends one day who is like very supportive to get tea. And I was like, you know how Starbucks has those puff cups. They're like, yeah. I was like, what if I did that? But with tea, like you get like a little thing of bone broth or something and you can just like give it to your dog. You know what I mean? Or like, <laughs> or like you can give them like a little thing of matcha whipped cream, but like not necessarily a dairy base, maybe like a rice base or something like that. Cause they yeah. do like, they make like rice milk and stuff like that. So I was just thinking about that and you know, my imagination goes on, but I'm learning more stuff about tea every single day. Um, it's been an absolutely amazing journey to see how, many folks love tea and all the different varieties there are. I haven't even touched on like an atom of how many teas and different varieties there are out there. And so I'm super excited to learn more, but at the same time, um, I've learned through my own personal experience and talking with other people that like T-Bana, like for example, Tivana was great and all, but you walk in and you're immediately overwhelmed. Like you're just like, there's way too many varieties. And like most people, when they go into a cafe, they're like, they go in, they want it, they get out. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so no one's going to sit there and look through 200 plus varieties of tea. They just want to be able to like go in, look at a menu, maybe have like 15, 20 things on it, 
order what they want and then go. So um, while I want to try so many different teas, I try to keep my variety small. Like I think I have 35 blends right now. And um, there are companies that are like, we offer over 300. I'm like, I'm, that's a lot. You know what I mean? So <laughs> that's, that's a lot. And so of course I'll do like seasonal stuff. Like I want to I was just talking to a friend of mine who's really uh, into like mapping and stuff like that. Like she makes 3D maps and stuff like that. And she's into tea as well. And <laughs> I texted her yesterday and I was and I was like, hey, what if we did like a limited edition series? Right. And we called it the Almanac series. And it was seven different tea blends for each of the seven continents. And she was oh, like, I fun. love that idea. That's great. And I said to make it even better. Every time you order a blend, each blend comes with a piece of a map. And so if you order all seven blends, you put all the pieces of the map together and you get this like super unique map that like you can frame or, you know, something like that. And so that's a concept. There's only one of me, uh, so we'll get to it, but you know, I have ideas like that all the time. So I, I guess it's like the brilliant thing of having like a quick moving, uh, brain that makes connections mm-hmm. really easily and has all those different contacts. Mm-hmm. Are you like making the blends yourself? So it's kind of half and half. So half of them are wholesale, like pre-mixed. So I source regionally from like, um, from Indiana, and then I've gotten a few here in Kentucky. And so I'm always looking for others as well. If I go outside of the region, I really focus on black owned or LGBTQ owned tea companies or something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, so half of that is like wholesale, like pre-mixed kind of thing. And the other half is the base is wholesale. So like I'll get like a bunch of white tea or a bunch of black tea, and then I add my own ingredients to it and make my own blends out of that. So half of it is like, I don't have access to these ingredients, but I really want to offer this type of tea. And so I get those wholesale. The other half is like, okay, I have access to these ingredients it's not going to be an enormous carbon footprint or something along those lines, or the ingredient isn't extremely expensive. Like saffron is really expensive. Oh yeah. Yeah. Just astronomical. Um, and so we, we do like a healthy mix of both. So. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like also, um, when you were talking about like taking out the loans and stuff like that, it sounds like also in the process of putting all this together, I'm sure there were like learning curves on, like you were saying, I restaurant kind of things, like where you can prepare it, how you can prepare it, Mm -hmm. like all that kind of stuff. So you're learning through that. Um, how did you get yourself through the like sort of hurdles or the bumps or like hearing no? Cause I think also a lot of people will be like, I'm inspired by this and I really want to do it. And then they get like a couple Mm -hmm. no's and then all of a sudden they're like, I have no motivation to work on this anymore. Yeah. Oh, I absolutely went through that. And I still go through that to this day. So um, again, a lot of folks are like, just push through it. Every no is a, every door closed is a window open. Oh, I hate that that saying. (laughs) What they don't talk about is the (laughs) grieving process of the no. Like you have to go through your grieving process and process through those emotions. You do not have to get right back up. Being told no, when you are so motivated to do something can really, can really be a big blow to like your emotions, you know, like And as a neurodivergent person who already has depression and anxiety as it is, being told no when I have this really like 
I put everything I can behind Siskat and being told no to a resource that I really need is devastating. Yeah. Like, because immediately I, I go into like depressive spirals or anxiety spirals. Like when I got denied funding the first time I applied, I panicked and I was so upset because I was like, I shouldn't be doing this at all. I need to shut down Siskat T. I need to give, give it to somebody else. I'm obviously not fit for this. And through therapy, I learned that I learned that I have abandonment issues. Oh yeah. <laughs> and I also learned that like, I have very catastrophic black or white thinking. So like, if things don't go perfectly the way I plan them out immediately, I'm like, give up, walk away. This is it, you know? And, um, because of my trauma brain, my fight or flight response is very strong to a fault. In particular, I lean towards more towards the flight response. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm very conflict avoidant and conflict scares the hell out of me. And so when the bank was like, no, we're not approving your application, my flight response kicked in and was like, pack it up. Yeah. We're done. Drop it. You have nothing left. And my therapist has taught me like, you know, now that those thoughts are irrational, you're just reacting like instinctually and like this is your feelings are really big right now so just kind of give yourself some time to come down and process and grieve as long as you need to so that's my advice for other people who get told no or experience like different gatekeeping things and be transparent with your community if you have one like if you have like an entrepreneurship community um, or a following or anything like that be transparent with them and be like hey I um, got denied funding for this because you never know who you're connected with. I remember when I came out with, um, I got, I got denied funding or something and I was really bummed about it. Well, then I got connected to a low barrier, more socially focused lending company here in Louisville called Access Ventures. And that was amazing. We did decide to pause the loan process because the loan is for a physical location, but with, we're literally on the fourth wave of COVID opening a physical location is a horrendously bad idea right now. Um, because uh, like I would get the location that's great, but how would I pay for it? Yep. Because people aren't going out as much right now. And, you know, so, um, we decided to pause that process, but Um, through talking about my failures, one, it's helped me process them because talking it out just really helps you process. And it really helps you center yourself and get a more objective view of it. I'm like, okay, yeah, I did get a no, but maybe there are other resources Two, Like I said, you never know who you're connected with. And so by talking openly about like, Hey, I got denied funding. You may get connected to other people. I've made a lot of relationships by just being transparent on Siskot about my mental health, the process I'm going through with Siskot T. Um, I've learned a lot of lessons from it. So I definitely recommend that. And then being open and transparent about your process helps other people be more comfortable about their processes. Like, hey, I got denied funding. And then I'll get texts from other people like, me too. Yeah. And I'm like, you too? <laughs> yep. Because with this technology and social media and things, you really get deceived into thinking that everybody's life is positive right now. It's not, you know what I mean? And so for every social media post of happiness, there's like 10 million, like not happy things going on in the background, whether they be neutral or negative or whatever. And so, you know, I was transparent about the process and everything. And I'll talk to other folks who are, you know, I say entrepreneurs, but entrepreneurs is kind of like a a loaded word. Like people hear the word entrepreneur and they're like, oh, you have, you know, you're so important. And it's like, I mean, 
I'm an entrepreneur and I have a registered business. My friend is an entrepreneur and she like bakes on the side. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like she's not a registered business. She doesn't have any plans to open a physical location or anything, but you know, she bakes on the side and she made an Instagram. I call her an entrepreneur too. Why not? You yes. know? And so we, you know, we all sit around and we're like, you got denied funding too. Like I remember when I met the owner of Nanny Go press slash nanny goat books for the first time and when I met the owner slash founder of queer Kentucky for the first time I was absolutely starstruck I was like oh my god look how successful they are and everything's gone really well for them I hope to be (laughs) them someday and then we all got really close and I started learning about all of the no's and all of the failures and all of the roadblocks that they that they have experienced and I was like oh my god I'm not the only one oh thank god you know and it it makes the business and it makes those connections feel a lot more personal. So yeah, um, my advice is not going to be some bubba booey bull crap about like, just power through it. Like process your grief, you know, talk it out with people. And if you don't want to talk it out with people right away, that's absolutely valid. Like I, when I start the grieving process, I just want to be by myself and I just want to be sad. Like, I just want to curl up and I want to be sad and I want to be dramatic because I'm a Leo and that's what we do. I want to be dramatic and lie on my fainting couch and just be like, woe is me. And this is the end. And then finally, when I come down from the bad high of that first blow, I'm like, okay, I'm going to talk to my therapist about this. You know what I mean? So yeah, it's totally, absolutely valid to grieve. And it's absolutely valid to, if you get a no and that is your breaking point, or you're just like, I'm exhausted it's absolutely okay to put your business down and walk away for a little bit. I know people that walked away from their business for a day. I know people that walked away from their business for years. So you create your own timeline. You know what I mean? And that's um, such perfect advice. Everyone's going through hardships right now. Like the entrepreneurship process is very, very gatekeeping. And so your denial is not a reflection of your failure. Your denial is a reflection of resources being withheld from folks who do not, who are not white, upper middle class, cis hetero men with generational income. I am sad about how true that statement is. Right. Yeah. Right. It sucks. Mm-hmm. Um, can we talk about Nanny Goat Press? Of course. Okay. Because <laughs> uh, I think this like ties into what you're talking about. Because I think a lot of people would be he- hesitant or reticent to say like, I got denied for this thing because they're busy making it be about them, you know, like, mm-hmm. and then there's shame around it that they don't put it out mm-hmm. there. And so mm-hmm. I love that you mentioned that like building a community that is really about like honesty and trust and community Mm -hmm. also means you have to be, you have to learn to be comfortable being vulnerable, but then Mm -hmm. it also gives your community the chance to like step in and step up. And so it sounds like you've been vulnerable. Like you wrote a book. (laughs) I did. I did. did How did you meet this amazing? um, I'm assuming it's a woman that runs Nanny Goat Press and it's Mm -hmm. named for, it's named for the street that it's on. Right or no? Yes. Yeah. What? Yes. It, yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. I haven't read the bio in a while. Yes. <laughs> Cause there's a yes. street in Louisville for all the non Louisvillians or my fellow folks living in Boston. Now, uh, there's a street in Louisville, Kentucky called N- nanny goat strut. <laughs> yes. That's what, yeah. that's why I remember now. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so the publishing process. So, um, I met, 
I met Sarah through Queer Kentucky, through an entrepreneurship meetup um, that Queer Kentucky was putting on. And Sarah was one of the like informal speakers of that event. And that's kind of how we connected. And, you know, there was networking and I'm really socially awkward with networking. Put me in front of a huge crowd. I can give a lecture. I can give a talk. I can give a presentation. That's fine. Put me in a room and tell me to network. (laughs) My worst nightmare. Like I can't do small talk. I just (laughs) feel awkward. And I think it's because I don't know how to have surface conversation. Like I was joking with my therapist and uh, I was like, here's how queer people, cause she's straight. I was like, here's how queer people make friends. Hi, how are you? My name's Ariel. My pronouns are she, her, hers. Tell me about your childhood trauma. What's your star <laughs> sign? Do you think Harry Potter is a good series? If you say yes, I'm never going to speak to you again. Do you think that your trauma informs how you are as a person? Did your parents love you properly? What mental illnesses do you have? Like those are the conversations that we have. But I can't do that when I'm just doing small talk. I can't be like, hi, Sarah from Nanny Goat Press. I have major depressive disorder and PTSD. What about you? Here's my card. Like, I can't do that. And so I'm just sitting there like, how are you? Oh, yeah, yeah, it's great. It's great. So, you know, it's just weird. So uh, I get the opportunity to talk about what I'm trying to do. She walks up to me and she's like, that sounds like an amazing idea. We really need a place like that, et cetera, et cetera. Um, we end up running into each other at a later event um, hosted by a organization called Blacks Organizing Strategic Success, which is run by a, a Black queer femme in the community. She's absolutely amazing. And she's like, we should collaborate on an event. That would be really cool. And I'm like, great. And I mentioned to her in passing that I'm working on a book. I worked on the book for like five or six years. It's like, I would write like a chapter and then walk away for like three months. And, you know, and she like got this look in her eye and I was like, oh no, what have I done? And she's like, so you're a writer. And I was like, I don't, I don't, mm, I don't don't know. I don't, mm, I write stuff down. Like that's, I'm a writer. I'm able to write. And um, we had, she had like a retail location for a little bit. um, But unfortunately with like COVID and stuff like that, she kind of shifted more towards the press part. And she uh, hosted um, an LGBTQ open mic night. And she reached out to me and she was like, I would really love for you to read at this open mic night. And I was like, what? And so, <laughs> and so you know, we have the open mic night and it's, this is before COVID. I think back now and I'm like, why were we in there with no masks packed shoulder to shoulder? This was before the pandemic. And it is packed with people. And I went up there and I read and other people read and all these things. And I looked around at the, at, at the group that was there. It was a good like 30, 40 people. And I was like, this is how badly we need like sober, authentic, vulnerable community because some of the pieces were lighthearted and funny, but a lot of them were like very vulnerable and very like deep and emotional. And like, those were the ones that got the most reaction out of people, you know? And it just kind of showed me that like we really need this community and there was like no alcohol or anything at that event and you know I was a little nervous about that so I was like do do queer people go to place without alcohol but then like they were there anyway and I was like this connection of alcohol alcohol and queer people is arbitrary and is rooted in um, addiction and is rooted in capitalism and we could have a whole conversation about like how 
alcohol and trauma and how capitalism like capitalized off of that and was like, Hey, you know, that kind of thing. Um, so we ended up doing that and we were like, this was an amazing event. And we ended up having another one where I actually like sold and served tea at the event. And that one went really well as well. Um, I was actually inspired by that to have an open mic night in February of 2020, because it was literally right before the pandemic of 2020. And it was a queer erotic open mic night, the week of Valentine's day. And we called it, um, erotica night. Cause yes. Oh my and God. <laughs> we sold events. We sold tickets on Eventbrite and I think they sold out in like three days. And I still have folks who reach out to me to this day. And they're like, that's the safest I've ever felt in any environment ever. Like safe to be queer um, safe to be out, safe to talk about sex and things like that. And it was like a full pack house. It was absolutely amazing. And so, you know, Sarah and I keep in contact, we get really close and she tells me about the press and she was like, I would love to publish you. And I was like, publish. I was like, my writing is garbage. And she's like, no, your writing is really good. And I'm like, you're just saying that because we're friends, you know? And she's like, from a business standpoint, I wouldn't offer to publish you if you sucked because that would end bad for both of us. And I'm like, valid. And so, you know, I worked on the book. I don't know how long it went from, I would love to publish you to the actual publishing, but um, we ended up kind of chatting back and forth and, you know, she's a writer as well. And so we would like bounce off of each other like we go in and out of like writing poetry together effortlessly it's a really it's a really like sappy emotional relationship (laughs) in like the best way possible and we have like boundaries and stuff like that like we're we're like oh we're writing this back and forth but we don't actually mean it we're like in storyteller mode you know what I mean because having healthy boundaries and friendships is really important but again a whole nother podcast So, you know, we uh, published the book and I held a physical copy and I cried my goddamn eyes out and I signed a bunch of copies and we've sold a bunch of copies and here I am. Um, Congratulations. And she went, can't wait to publish your second book. And I was like, that's hilarious because I don't know when that is ever going to be. So yeah. And that's how it's been from there. Um, she's hosted a couple more open mic nights, but with COVID, it's just been super risky, but, um, I'm super looking forward to when the world opens back up so that we can do those open mic nights again. Um, I think the difficult part is finding a sober accessible space to have these open mic nights because bars are like, we'll host your open mic night, but like, we really don't want to be around alcohol and, those spaces aren't accessible for anyone under the age of like 21. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, that's kind of the story. Um, Sarah and I still talk to this day. She's my publisher, um, but more importantly, she's one of my best friends. So she is absolutely amazing. And her press focuses on marginalized authors. So giving marginalized authors a voice. And so she's published a couple folks and their writing is absolutely amazing. It's great. So every open mic, she's like, you come in, author and I'm like uh <laughs> one of my featured <laughs> authors <laughs> right, exactly like she calls me one of her featured authors and I'm like uh what <laughs> what is After the name you, of your book again it is called um a book for the shelf rantings and writings of a black queer polyamorous woman yes so um 
Yeah. And when you read your work so many times, it just gets so bland. And every time I read it, I'm like, this sucks, you know, but then people come up to me afterwards. They're like, oh my God, it was so good. It was so in depth. I felt it. And I'm like, like, I just, I mean, yeah. Okay. Yeah, sure. Okay. Thank you for the compliment. I appreciate it. (laughs) Yeah. That's we're here to this day. So Oh, all right. So what's next for, um, this got tea opening the physical location. Um, we have a lot of plans for it already. Um, so I am not creative by any means. Like I'm not an artist. I don't know what the space is going to look like. Um, when we get the physical space, I'm just going to grab all my artist friends and just be like, go crazy. I'm also going to get my interior design friends. If I don't know if anybody that does interior design, but anyway, and say, go crazy because I can't, I don't have, I have terrible 3d concept. And so, and so like when I was moving into my apartment and I was like putting stuff in places, I was like, this is going to fit. And then it wouldn't, and then I'd be like, this isn't going to fit. And it did <laughs> like my 3d concept. It's awful. Like it's absolutely terrible. I can't. And I'm a very like, my degree is in math. And so I, I guess like, I like to fit things together like Tetris pieces, but apparently in some artistic spaces, like, like feng shui shouldn't fit like Tetris pieces sometimes, but it works out. I don't know. Like I watch HGTV sometimes and I look and I'm like, I would just line everything up and be like, here you go. But like Ta-da. they put stuff <laughs> places and I'm like, that's great. You know? And then they with the colors and I'm just, I'm just blown my mind. So, so I'm going to hire people for that. Well, fortunately, uh, there's a lot of artists in Louisville, so I'm sure right? I'm, I have sure gotten be just a peek into the artist community and it is amazing what they do. I just, I am absolutely floored. Like you can tell I don't have an artistic brain because the cover of my book is just red with the title on it. Like I didn't, I didn't have Ta-da. anything. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't want it to be super flashy anyway, but like, I'm just not yep. a flashy person. Um, I also get sensory overload from bright colors and things like that, especially if my anxiety is super high or I'm having a PTSD episode. Mm-hmm. Also, if I'm having a migraine, I don't like bright colors because they make my head- headaches worse. So my uh, my bedroom is like, my bed sheets are like deep purple and maroon. And then like my living room is a bunch of neutral colors like brown and gray and stuff like that. But anyway, um, we have a lot of different plans for the physical space. Um, first things first, we're going to have a lot of resources there. So whether that looks like a wall of pamphlets for different things, whether that looks like having a computer area, I don't know, but I do want the resources there. I've been talking to a lot of folks in recovery, um, a lot of folks who are sober because they have a history of addiction. And I've realized through having these conversations that you see advertisements for alcohol everywhere, but I cannot tell you one time that I have seen advertisements for like AA meetings or NA meetings or recovery resources. Mm-hmm. I remember, I think like six or seven months ago, I was driving down the interstate and there was a billboard for landmark recovery. And I remember I was so hyped because that is the first time in my life that I have seen an outward advertisement for recovery services. And I was so hyped and it made me realize like, there's nowhere I can go where I can pick up a pamphlet on here, recovery resources, or um, here's when the next meeting is, or here are these sober events. So I definitely want to have those. I want to have low barrier to no barrier events. 
And I've asked folks around the community multiple times what types of events that they want that they want to see. And so I actually keep a running list in my phone. Uh, let me pull it up real quick. <clears throat> okay, so um, I went to the University of Louisville and I sat down with their um, LGBTQ people of like students of color group. It's called Shades. Absolutely amazing student group. They they are going to change the world someday. I guarantee it. And I said, what do you all want to see? What are some events that you wish existed in Louisville specifically for LGBTQ people? And they say karaoke nights or karaoke nights. Um, because right now the karaoke that's available is mostly in bars and they can't get in because they're yep. like 18, 19, 20, you know. Um, queer Asian support group, um, black queer horror movie nights, uh, sober club nights where like a, a club like shuts down alcohol sales or something and you can like have a sober club. Um, queer Arab support, game nights, black queer meetups, clothing exchange for non-cis folks and marginalized genders, makeup classes for marginalized genders, a queer mentorship program specifically for folks of color. And that one actually hit me really deeply because when I was growing up as a black queer kid, I didn't know any older people who were like proudly out and queer. And so like the running, the running joke in the black queer community for me, the one that I was a part of was like, if a family member, let's say you have an aunt that has a girlfriend or a partner or a wife or whatever, it was never, oh, auntie's bringing her girlfriend or auntie's bringing her partner or her wife. It's always, oh, auntie's bringing her friend or uh -huh. auntie's bringing her roommate. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, I've heard roommate a lot. Right. Yeah. And um, with my grandparents, even for the longest time, I was like, oh, this is my friend. You know what I mean? Yep. Like when I would bring partners around. And, you know, my grandparents are super, super sweet people. And they're like, oh, okay, you know, they're welcome whenever. And I didn't come out to them until I was like 22. <laughs> and even after that, I was like, this is my friend. And they're like, okay, you know, so <laughs> I thought that was really, really important. And, you know, you don't hear much about the history of black queer people, um, except for like the big ones, like Marsha, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, but I would love to hear like how, folks who are like my mother's age or my grandmother's age grew up here in the city of Louisville as black queer people. So I think that would be really interesting to have like historical talks and things like that. Um, Politics 101, which made me realize never in my schooling, which I don't know if this is the fault of Kentucky or the schools I went to, I was never taught, I never had like a one-on-one -on -one course of like, what does the mayor do? What does the governor do specifically for Kentucky? What are the different districts? what are we voting on? Like that type of thing. And a lot of feedback that I got was, I don't participate and I don't vote because I have no idea what's going on. And on a national level, you get a lot of media coverage, but on like a local level, it's just like, here's Mayor Fisher. And you're like, well, what does he do? You know, here's Governor Bashir. Well, what does he do? And what's the difference between Andy and uh, Greg? Yeah. Yeah, I had to think about it for a second because it's always Fisher and Bashir. So anyway, like what, what do they do? And, you know, what are their beliefs and what district am I in? Like nine times out of 10, people don't know what district they're in. I forget a lot of the times, but that's because I have memory problems. I'm going to chalk that up to memory <laughs> problems and PTSD. But like, what district am I in? What does that mean? Like, what are the districts for, you know? So politics How have they been controlled by people? Who right, exactly. What's the gerrymandering people? look like? What's yep. the redlining look like? Yep. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, queer religious spaces um, where folks can like 
ask those questions being part of a religious group. And one of the students in particular was like, I was raised in Christianity and I was too. Um, I decided to walk away from the church. It's not really my thing. Um, And she was like, I was raised in Christianity, but I never got the opportunity to question it. It was always like, this is the truth and you don't question it. And if you question it, you're a sinner. And it's, and you know, at growing up a a queer Christian person and she's in the church and things like that. She was like, but I never got the opportunity to be like, do you ever wonder if God actually exists? You know, because if you ask those questions, it was like, what do you mean? You know, that kind of thing. (laughs) And then how do you um, absolve your queerness and your your religion, you know, because um, with, I was raised Catholic, um, Catholicism in particular, it's like, you know, a man should never lie with a man as he does with a woman, like that whole Bible passage, you know what I mean? Um, and they're like, yeah, but that one's a mistranslation. Exactly. Oh, we can talk about that forever. Yeah, no, we could, I think, I think what you're getting at is like, specifically Christian religions have caused a lot of trauma, uh, Mm -hmm. for, um, anyone (laughs) Right. And there's not a cisgendered white man. (laughs) There's right. And there's not a religion centered space where they can talk about that trauma. Like there's a lot of a lot of non-religious spaces where people can be like, I have a lot of religious trauma. And people are like, freak religion, we're not going to do it anymore. But some folks still want to be in that religion and want to mesh their queerness and their religious identities. And so there's not a lot of spaces to do that because <clears throat> some people don't want to turn away from the church and that is absolutely 100% valid and not all but churches teach away. you like self-hate and right yeah Catholicism has a lot of self-hate in it oh yeah I think oh, I still I still struggle like even, even I still when... I still struggle I haven't been to church since I was 17 it's been 13 years since I've like gone to a church service and <sighs> The thought of going to a church service gives me anxiety. I used to go into churches and have panic attacks. Yep. <clears throat> I'm so, with you there. I can't. It just makes me mad. I get really angry. And then I, me- yeah, <laughs> it's I bad. But the, the concept in Christianity that you're just like, you're, you're bad and you need something mm-hmm. to say, like make you not bad. Like the inherent right. wrongness of your being like mm-hmm. is so fucked, but the concept of original sin and having to go to reconciliation all the time. Oh my. I know. I remember reconciliation being nerve wracking for me all through my life. Yes. Like I would sit there and immediately start crying because you are just raised in so much guilt. Yeah. And yeah. I still remember like, forgive me father for I have sinned. It has been this many days since my last confession. And you sit and you tell this stranger who's connected to God about all of these terrible quote unquote things you had done and you're like, I don't remember the age you start reconciliation. I know there's a process. But I, started like, I remember it second nice grade. I think, second grade. Second yeah. grade. You're sitting there feeling bad about yourself. How old are you? Seven? <laughs> right. Exactly. You're seven years old. Sitting there in front of a in front of a religious figure being like, I'm a bad person. <laughs> I, I can, oh. I, I need forgiveness. How many Hail Marys? <laughs> right. Oh my gosh. I, I look at rosaries and I I remember like doing the rosary. Yeah. Um, <laughs> a, a as a kid and like oh. I used to go to church every Thursday it was part of the school curriculum I went to Catholic school I went to Catholic school from third grade all the way through college because Bellarmine's a Christian yep. college yeah it's so Catholic. Like, yeah Catholic college um never went to church when I was there but um <laughs> you know 
I just, I remember some stuff, but then apparently there was this big convention and all the responses and church changed. So I am very far behind. So they have, <laughs> I go to church I'm today, with you I'm lost. It's, you just have to stand up when everybody stands and sit where everybody sits and right. mutter something under your breath. Anytime there's like the, the call and right. And then I think about going off on a tangent. And then I think about like, how have we not had a pandemic before with everyone like drinking from the same cup of wine and like <laughs> shaking hands and saying peace? Like how did we not? Dipping their hands in the same water to make the sign of the cross. How are we not all sick? <laughs> My husband and I were, uh, were talking about that, like during the pandemic. We were like, "How are Catholics going to handle this?" Right? <laughs> because in I other just, churches, I... they give you those little, um, the little like shot glasses with it in there. Right? You know, like we it's all separate. drink from the same cup. <laughs> but like maybe it's like a herd immunity thing. Like maybe the Catholics are on to something. Know. I don't know. My immunity went down the toilet. I was with my friend uh, for maybe five minutes and I got RSV within 24 hours. So, but um, the other things are um, a safe space for LGBTQ Muslim folks. And then, excuse me, um, burlesque nights, like sober burlesque nights. Cause a lot of the burlesque nights are in bars. Hugging you for that. That would be so (laughs) wonderful. I would love to go to a burlesque show, but like, I don't want Liquor, you know, and then yeah, of course, like yeah. sober drag nights and things like that. There's and a lot of other folks queer performers in the community too. There are there are some absolutely amazing performers. I just don't like the bar scene, you, yeah. you know. And even the the drag brunches that they do are very like alcohol centric as well. And I've gotten other feedback like we could do like tea classes, like tea one hundred and one, and we could do open mic nights. Um, we could do like a, a sip and paint night where there's no alcohol involved. Um, I do want to do a, a lot of different like workshops and things like that, um, like black parenting workshops um, and how to break like generational trauma through modern black parenting. Like you don't have to hit your kids. And if your kid disagrees with you, that's not disrespect. Like your kid is like a small adult, like they have conversations and disagreements as well. And you know, I was watching, uh, no, I was on Twitter and I was reading about, I was reading um, some, somebody who was a black parent and she was talking about how her three-year-old, she was trying to get her to take a bath and she was just not having it. Like just having tantrums and making excuses and things like that. And she was like, I really just wanted to revert back to how I was raised and like yell at her and drag her into the bathtub. But you know, I sat down with her and I said, you know, what's, what's wrong? What are you feeling? And her kid asked, you know, can I draw a picture? And she was like, and at first she was like, what the heck does that have to do with anything? Yeah. And she was like, I challenged myself and I said, yes, you can draw. And so she said her three-year-old drew two houses and a bed in the middle. And the three-year-old was in the bed and she had a big sad face. And the mom was like, you know, will you describe this picture to me? And long story short, the three-year-old wasn't having tantrums just because just to have tantrums just to be difficult. She was feeling a lot of feelings because her parents were divorced. And she was like, why can't mommy and daddy live under the same roof anymore? Mm -hmm. And she didn't have the words to explain that. And so, you know, the mom sat down and kind of reassured her, like, you know, mom and dad still love you very much, but sometimes, you know, parents have to go their separate ways. And then she drew another picture of her in a bed with a big sad face. And like the sun was up and she was like, well, what does that mean? she's and the little girl was like I'm sad in the mornings and it turns out like she's really upset she's not a morning person it's really hard for her and so she wasn't having tantrums because she was being difficult or she was 
you know, being, being a difficult child. It was just, she was feeling a lot of things and trying to process these things, but she didn't have the language for it. And so if we give our kids the patience to express themselves in the way that they need to, you'll have a very healthy relationship with your child and you'll raise a very healthy child. And, you know, there are things that I've learned about parenting that I wish I had had when I was a kid, you know, I don't have any kids. So um, I just want to be able to have those conversations and then, you know, talk about um, like breastfeeding and have like black doulas and things like that, have like polyamory circles, particularly polyamorous people of color. Cause like the polyamory community here is great, but it's mostly white. And mm-hmm. so like, how do you navigate being a person of color? So just specifically a black person in the polyamory community, um, because I don't want to be a fetish. Yep. And I don't want to be an accessory to an already established relationship. Yes. Unicorn hunting is not great in my opinion. So um, just talking about that, um, breaking the link between being queer and being sexual, like having like folks discuss asexuality because that exists. Like people don't really think about that, you know, and um, having safe sex conversations and you know, I've met so many folks that don't know what a dental dam is. You know what I mean? Like yeah. having those super important conversations. So there's a lot of different things that we're going to do. More um, things they missed in the Kentucky uh, education system. <laughs> and we, and I went to Catholic school, so I didn't get anything. So. <laughs> I didn't like, we have that in mind. <laughs> oh Save yourself until marriage. You'll find the perfect man. Okay. <laughs> right. Okay. I don't even know what that is. But yeah, uh, it's there's so, no such thing. But anyway, yeah, no, it makes me so happy um, to hear. Like, I just love that your business is um, so centered around the community and has it, the the idea was to be of service to the community, and that is such a like radically different approach than most businesses, which are like make as much money as possible. Like, right, and yeah, I don't see the glamour in that anyway. Like, like folks ask me, like, what would you do if you were a millionaire? I'm like, I don't know. Pay off my debt. Pay off my family's debt. I don't know. Buy a better car. I don't know. And then give give the rest to one of these organizations. Right. Like, I would save enough money to live comfortably. Like, I don't want a giant house. I don't want a super modern house or anything. Like, I want to pay off my debt. I want to pay off my family's debt. I want to pay off my friend's debt. I want to buy a house just because like apartments aren't big enough these days. Um, I want to buy Siskatia physical space and that's about it. Like the thought of traveling out of state to go on vacation doesn't sound very great right now, but I think that's influenced by COVID. But like, I don't want to make a ton of money. Like I want to be comfortable. And most importantly, I want my employees to be comfortable. One of the promises I made is that I would pay them at least a living wage. So I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna sit here and be like, I'm all for the community. You're gonna make 725 an hour. Like I'm not, (laughs) No. I feel like that's super contradictory. And that also perpetuates the cycle of poverty that holds in particular black people back. You know what I mean? Like I I remember my first job was at Kentucky Kingdom working for 655 an hour, which goes to show how much the minimum wage has increased because now it's 725 and my first job was at 15 and that was 15 years ago, so. Yep. I had a, a similar job at a pizza place that will not be named. <laughs> 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 and I worked there until I was like 21. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, Eventually yeah. they raised me. 
to like seven fifty an hour. That was like a big deal. And I was like, Whoa. 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 Get the camera, mom. <laughs> <laughs> What's your mortgage payment? I'll cover it this month. <laughs> right. In your mind, like oh. oh my God. Well, how can people find you? How can they support you in this work? So, um, not everyone has access to funding, so I'm not going to sit here and be like, buy my products, you know? So <laughs> but most importantly, if, if they wanted to, to buy and they could, of course. Yeah. yeah. Um, so the website is www.sysgottky. It's S I S T as in toy E A. No, it's not S I S G O T as in toy T E A K Y. Dot com. So it's Syscout T-K-Y, all one word. Um, the Instagram and Facebook handles are Syscout T-K-Y. So you can find us there. Our online store is like up and running. You can put it in order anytime. Um, we ship internationally um, and we ship nationally flat rate um, USPS priority. It's $8.50. So um, you can also find us in a whole bunch of different retail locations. So you can find us I mean, they're all located in Louisville, except for Lavender Hill Florals, which is located in Southern Indiana. But you can find us in Blue Dog Bakery and Cafe, Pocket Change, Speed Art Museum, all Rainbow Blossom locations, and Lavender Hill Florals for retail. Um, we are currently being brewed at Safai Coffee, um, which is like literally this week. So I don't know if they're brewing it yet, but they'll brew it in like a week or so. Um, Blue Dog is going to start brewing us soon, but they're available retail. And yeah, you can always order online. We'll be in the Sips by Tea subscription boxes starting in the winter. So we'll be doing that. Um, this is when I blank because I don't remember all of the places that I am. So um, just spread the word about us is totally. what's helped us the most, honestly. So um, yeah, just support us, send us well wishes. Um, we do have a GoFundMe for the physical location. Um, that is on our website and on our Facebook page and on our Instagram as well. Um, I don't know when this episode is going to come out, but one of the most exciting things that's happening at the end of this month is there is a large organization called Sober Voices. And it's all about like sobriety and things like that. And they're having a conference at the end of the month. It's September 30th through October 2nd, October 1st. I don't remember. Let me check. I have my phone on me. Give me just a moment. Um, but they're having this really big conference. <clears throat> and um, I am going to be one of the speakers, but they have a lot of speakers that are going to be there and it's going to be an absolutely amazing event. It's a three-day event. So it's September 30th through October 2nd and they have 60 plus speakers covering a whole bunch of different topics. So um, one of them that just scrolled by is winning my religion, reimagining re spirituality or not in sobriety, um, mood and food workshop with creative nutrition company, We've been there creating queer and trans black folk, centering queer and trans black folk and harm reduction work. Um, there's also one, her name is Allie K. Campbell. She's on social media as Allie K. Campbell and also on YouTube and Instagram. She is going to do a special talk on ADHD and sobriety and recovery. And that is going to be an absolutely amazing talk. I'm hoping I can make it. 
I personally um, am on two panels, panels, speakers, conferences. Um, I My first one is going to be a talk about tea with Quentin Venny. Um, Quentin Venny is in the East Coast area, Upper East Coast. I can't remember if it's uh, Baltimore. He's in Baltimore. And I think, uh, don't quote me on that, bad memory. But he owns his own tea company and he is a black man. So he has a black owned tea company. And we literally sat down virtually and just had tea and we talked. And we just talked about tea. We talked about sobriety. We talked about um, tea in like health and recovery. So we talked about that. And we had a really interesting conversation because I come from a medical background. My mom um, has worked in medicine and like a hospital setting all of her life mm-hmm. and most mm-hmm. of her life. But Quentin comes from a very holistic background. And so when I was a kid, when we got sick, we went to the doctor, we got medicine, all that stuff. When Quentin got sick, they used a lot of holistic remedies. And one of the stories he told me was that when one day when he was running a fever when he was a kid, his grandfather, I think, took some raw potatoes and sliced them and put them on his wrists to pull the fever out of his body. And it was very interesting to see how differently we were raised and our different viewpoints and how we both ended up in the tea realm. And so for me, I'm a hybrid when it comes to tea. So like, I think tea can help with symptoms, but Mm -hmm. I don't, I'm not entirely convinced that tea can cure disease. So if you come to me and say, I want something for a stomach ache, that's great. I can solve your symptoms temporarily with like peppermint or something like that. What tea can't do is cure your Crohn's disease. Like that's not how that works. So I can alleviate your symptoms, but I can't cure your ailment. Um, I believe, I firmly believe in medicine for that, but we can talk about like medical racism and things like that. Like the Tuskegee syphilis experiment and Henrietta Lacks. But anyway, but Quentin on the other hand is much more holistic than I am. And so it was very interesting to have that conversation. The other one that I'm on is a little bit more lighthearted. It's about how pets can help with sobriety and recovery. And so we're all just going to have our pets on screen and we're just going to talk about how cute our pets are. So (laughs) I'll have, I'll have my cat Alfonso. He's a lot more tolerant with being like picked up and manhandled and stuff like that. He's just like a big blob. So (laughs) I'll just be chatting with him and talking about how Alfonso, my cat has helped a lot in my sobriety um, and helped me like with my PTSD and generalized anxiety disorder and stuff like that. But the talks are going to be absolutely amazing. Um, they do have sliding scale rate tickets for individuals who may not necessarily be able to afford the full price ticket. So um, it's going to be absolutely amazing. It's all virtual. So you don't have to worry about traveling anywhere. Oh, that was there's my one next that's going to be Yeah, it's virtual. Yeah. It's completely virtual. So oh, yeah. you don't have to worry about traveling. I just saw a feature to talk. It's, it's called It Memes a Lot using like social media and comedy for sobriety. So it's going to be super awesome. <clears throat> that's at the end of this month. Um, so I'll be there. You can find my book on Amazon if you want to give Bezos more money. Um, but more importantly, it is on the Nanny Goat Press website, which is Nanny, N-A-N-N-Y, goat, G-O-A-T, all one word, dot press. And not only will you see my book, you'll see books from other folks as well. So um, if you want to read about me ranting and writing about polyamory and stuff like that, go ahead and purchase my book. Apparently it's good. I, I, I wouldn't know, but, um, yeah, if you want to hang out and chill and ask me questions, you can just find me on Cisco T social media or yeah. So 
Perfect. I'll just be living life, doing my day to day. Hopefully the weather cools down soon because I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm not going to, well, I'll make you jealous for a second. Last week we had 70 degree weather. Oh, heaven. And I actually oh, was... laid out and got myself a little bit of a sunburn because I didn't realize how hot it was. That's I just, it's been so hot and humid here and the cicadas are so loud. <laughs> I love the cicadas. All right, really quick. The cicadas are great. The cicadas are great. But then when I have like sensory overload, which happens yeah. sometimes, I'm just like, please be quiet. Like, I just can't, like, I'll hear my neighbor walk upstairs. And if I'm having a really bad sensory day and my sensory days are really weird. Um, I'm a very affectionate, like my top love language is touch and physical contact. And so and my partner and I are always wanting to cuddle, but then I have sensory overload sometimes. And I'm like, hold me, but get away from me. <laughs> and he's like, what? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. My clothes suddenly don't feel right. I need to change my clothes like that type of thing. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's just been like super hot outside. And I feel like a slug it's gotten better. Like, but it was in like the upper nineties feeling like over a hundred for like a week. Welcome to Kentucky. I, it was awful. And uh, my partner moved here from Oregon. And of course, Oregon's always like a little bit cooler, you know, Oregon. And he, he moved in and he's like, it doesn't feel that bad here. And I'm like, just you wait. <laughs> oh my God. Well, just thank you, you so much, Ariel Clark, for coming on the Sacred Adventure Begin podcast and sharing your story with everyone. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. This was an amazing conversation. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Sacred Adventure Begin. If you feel inspired by these conversations, please consider joining us on Patreon and supporting the podcast. Your donations help keep us up and running and start at just $2 a month. Patrons now get additional episodes of the podcast as well as art images and readings at a super affordable monthly rate. And I would love to personally welcome you into that community. Special thanks and shout out to all the Patreon members who are currently out there and all of the donations Sacred Adventure Begin has received to date. It has been such a pleasure supporting you and helping you focus in on the truth, meaning, and wisdom that can be found in our lives and experiences. Thank you too for everyone out there listening. Know that I am sending you so much love, so much awareness, and so much self-acceptance at whatever stage in your journey you find yourself on today.